From the Heritage Foundation, I'm Tim Desher, and this is Heritage Explains. We all know the government loves to spend our money. Remember this scene from the hit movie Independence Day when President Whitmore first sees Area 51? I don't understand. Where does all this come from? How do you get funding for something like this? You don't actually think they spend $20,000 on a hammer, $30,000 on a toilet seat, do you? While the exchange is cheeky and fun, this highlights a very real problem. The federal government spends, we pay taxes, and seldom see a benefit. In fact, here's a list of things the federal government has spent money on in recent history. $2.5 million for a lame Super Bowl commercial for the census. How about a neon light museum in Las Vegas? Then there's the study of a genital washing program for South African men. Gross. I personally like the story when the federal government paid millions of dollars to watch video gamers play World of Warcraft. And of course, for all you deadheads out there, the federal government spent $615,000 on digitizing the Grateful Dead catalog and memorabilia. Man, doesn't our government rock? With the current budget of $4.5 trillion, there's a lot of room for waste, and it takes a lot of work to figure out how to spend all that money. But waste isn't the only problem. What is the impact on those receiving money from the federal government? A lot of that money is distributed to the states in what we call grants in aid, which is essentially money coming from Washington and going to a specific project in a state like a new bridge or a mass transit system. And of course, when someone's doling out money, recipients are very eager to receive it. Think about the control the federal government has over a state when they say, In order to get it, you have to do X, Y, and Z. This goes completely against the founders' vision for federalism. This week on the podcast, we sit down with Mike Nichols from the Badger Institute in Wisconsin and David Ditch, who works in the Grover M. Herman Center for the Federal Budget here at the Heritage Foundation. On this episode, they explain how grant-in-aid programs are not only making things more expensive for taxpayers, but also how they are further empowering Washington, D.C. to gain power over the states. We also have a little fun, too. Gentlemen, welcome to the Heritage Explained studio. Thank you so much for being here. Happy to be here. Thanks for having us. So, Mike Nichols from Badger Institute, I want to start with you. You wrote a book called Federal Grant Standing, and you talked about how intertwined the states have become with the federal government through the grants that they offer, that the federal government offers to the states. But 
in my opinion, really, it's a book on federalism and how far we've come from it. Um, it, it gives really good historical context of our nation's founding, how they, the, the founders envisioned our nation being, and where we are. And you use the state of Wisconsin, which you're from, as the prime example. So I'm going to start there. Just for some, new, uh, for some context and a little nuance, what is a federal grant? So we're talking about grants and aid, and this, is, uh, this didn't really exist until the 1960s, you know, until the Lyndon Johnson years, right, the Great Society years. But these are grants that it's, it's federal money that flows through state and local governments, right? There's all kinds of federal money, entitlement money, and, you know, money that goes for procurement and all that stuff. But this is the money, and now it's up to $800 billion a year. It used to be, it was, it was practically nothing. It was a few, a few billion in the 60s. Now it's $800 billion, Tim. And this is just this is money that wait, flows. Wait, hold on. Eight hundred yep. billion per yeah. year. Yeah, and this is yep, and this is money that flows from the federal government. So from one government to another government to a state or local government, and sometimes it'll go from like one from like a state government to the local government, and then to and then to some other you know nonprofit. So so wow. it's it's you know it's it, as you can imagine. And I hope we can talk about it, it. Creates all all these all these situations where there's wasted money and sort of and you know we're boon goggles and lack of accountability. Yeah, federal grant standing, and we've linked to it in the show notes, everyone, so please go check it out. It's a really good read. Um, You said in there, quote, the intent of so many of the grant programs is good, and the need is real, but the method is flawed and too often counterproductive. Explain that to me. Right. Well, uh, as is, as is often the case, you know, people out here, and we're we're sitting we're sitting out in Washington D.C. Right. I'm from I'm from Wisconsin. Right. People are are well intended. Right. And. You know, largely we see this. We see this on the left with progressives, and they have this. This, you know, they're well intended, right? Like they have a great vision. Hey, we want to improve the environment, right? Or we want to get we want to get people from one place to another, or lift them out of poverty. And you know, great, well intended. But but by the time the the bad cliche, but rubber hits the road, I'm using that because we just talk a lot about transportation right. grants in this, you know, in in this area. Um, it doesn't really work out. It doesn't really work out that way. The the intent the intent is different than the reality, and and there's just uh, you know, so many instances we can talk about where money is wasted, lack of accountability, duplicative bureaucracy. How much of Wisconsin's budget relies on federal money? 30%, Tim. Uh, 30% of the, and this is not unusual, David could tell you, this is not unusual throughout America. It's pretty average. So almost one third of the entire budget of all the money that's spent by the state of Wisconsin comes from the federal government. And let me just give you one other statistic. Yeah. Uh, there are 10,000 state employees, and I'm, I'm doing the air quote thing right now, like state employees who are actually paid for with federal money. Now, 5,000 of those granted are in the UW, University of Wisconsin system, right? There's a whole bunch of schools in the UW system other than just Madison, which everybody knows. But um, but then there are 5,000 in all these other departments of state government, and they're paid with paid with federal money, Tim. And so that creates all kinds of issues. Some of them don't even know they're paid with federal money, which is one problem, because you think there should be a real delineation between a federal function and a state function. There's not. The people don't even, the people, those people don't even know. But then when they do know, that's a problem as well, because they're in, they're in the state, but they're, but they're pay masters and maybe their ta- you know, task masters are actually federal, Tim. And just taking a quick step aside from our conversation, have you subscribed to the Daily Signal podcast yet? If not, go do it right now. 
It's a great way to arm yourself with relevance. So when you go into a conversation with someone, you're able to stand on your own. Subscribe to the Daily Signal podcast today. You won't regret it. Now back to our conversation. David, one of government's most fundamental roles is to provide for the infrastructure. And that's what my dad used to tell me. Very conservative guy. Son, we we provide for the national defense and we provide for infrastructure. That should be the federal government's role here. Um, Now, I can see how that can be manipulated. Um, So just correct the record on this. Why isn't this a good idea for the federal government to be using these dollars to provide for the infrastructure? Well, first of all, federal government is not responsible and has historically not been responsible for the majority of infrastructure. So, Dad, you're wrong. <laughs> the vast majority of our roads and bridges are have been built by and are maintained by state and local governments, county governments. The federal government's role historically has been limited to the interstate system, which is important. Uh, President Eisenhower oversaw the creation of the Highway Trust Fund, which our gas taxes pay into, which was used to build the interstate system. So we have roads that go coast to coast, border to border. They carry hundreds of millions of people every year. They carry untold billions of dollars worth of goods that we all use every day in our lives. Unfortunately, the mission accomplished on this big project happened almost 30 years ago. And the federal government keeps finding new excuses to spend rather than focusing on just maintaining the system that we need. Republicans and and Democrats, they kind of, I think sometimes in Congress, they see this as sort of a bring home the bacon kind of thing. Um, There's a big pot of money and we're going to do our best to get as much as we can for our states. How much is enough? Where should we draw the line with this? Where, wh- wh- how much influence, how much interaction should the federal government have in these kinds of situations? Solely limited to interstate? Is that it? So between the interstate highway system as it was originally designed decades ago, and then also a handful of roads that connect key military bases to the interstate system because the military was the original justification for why we needed it. Um, you know, we need to make sure our defense assets can get everywhere in the country reasonably quickly in case something goes haywire. Unfortunately, now they're taking, again, every excuse under the sun to fund projects that have absolutely nothing, zero to do with national defense, have nothing to do with benefiting the nation as a whole. They're just there to funnel money from local taxpayers who are filling up their car with gas The money gets sent to D.C. D.C. then cuts a check, sends the money back to state governments to make sure that the money gets passed through as many levels of government as possible to maximize political benefits. But unfortunately, that means we get a lot less value for our dollar. So this is a question for both of you. Um, President Trump quotes a lot. He says a lot. Um, that our roads and our bridges are crumbling, our infrastructure is in shambles, our airports are in bad shape. We need to fix this. And, and you know, a lot of people hear that and they say, yeah, I drive down where I'm from in Detroit. I drive down I-75 and there's potholes the size of, you know, Wisconsin. 
in, uh, in on I-75 headed southbound. Um, so we do need to fix this. What is he helping this or is he hurting us in this? Well, first of all, politicians typically use this phrase, crumbling roads and bridges. Over time, the quality of our infrastructure has improved. But that doesn't mean that it can't be better. It should be better. We want to get rid of the potholes. And unfortunately, the federal role is, first of all, to do facilitate ribbon-cutting ceremonies because that's when politicians are in their glory rather than maintaining the roads that we have and we use every single day. We have the vast majority of the roads that we need. We need to be focusing on maintaining them, and the federal dollars are mostly tied to new construction. So that's a problem right there. Um, there are things the federal government can do. It's not more money. They can do away with the Davis-Bacon Act, for instance, which is kind of a, which is a prevailing wage thing. That means that if you're accepting a dollar of federal government money, you have to match the prevailing wage, which is essentially that's it right. helps it, it it almost helps employ union members. That's right. Over you know, regular That's non-union right. people. Yeah, and uh, that would save that that would save a lot of money at the local level. Right. Uh, you know, the federal government could also ease up on these prohibitions on tolling. Right? Mm-hmm. There's not a complete prohibition on tolling, and some states out out here northeast uh, were uh, were grandfathered in. But it's uh, tolling would be a good solution for a place like Wisconsin. But we'd have to jump through a whole bunch of federal hoops in order to do that. So, yeah, we do have infrastructure needs, but uh, the solution is not just to throw more federal money at it. I'm looking at the, and you talk about this, Mike, the boondoggle of a streetcar in in Milwaukee that received a bunch of federal money yeah. to, to do that. And then where I'm from, my, my hometown of Detroit, they have the Q line, which yeah. is a similar kind of thing. It goes yeah. out three miles one way and back. It doesn't yeah. really serve any purpose whatsoever, just spends money. Yeah. So my question to you is, coming from um, the states, you get all this money to do this project, but then isn't it on you to maintain it? It is. It is wow. on, on them to maintain it. But I would just back up a second. They didn't really get the money to do that project. They got money 30 years ago, a whole bunch of federal money that was supposed to be for a different federal project. It was supposed to be, Tim, a bus-only highway from a, from a western county into Milwaukee. Turned out they didn't want it. Governor Tommy Thompson, you probably remember him. He was the governor yeah. at the time. He he didn't want that. He didn't want the money. And thank God, we didn't need a bus only highway. So they had all these hundreds of millions of federal dollars, Tim, sitting around for 25 years, and they needed to find a way to spend that federal money, or they would have lost it. So they finally, after 25 years, and I'm not embellishing here, they came up with the streetcar. So that's how that's how they came up with it. It was just it was it was it was not based in hey, what do we need? How are we going to help people? How are we going to move people? faster or create jobs or development. None of that. And by the way, that hasn't happened. I was just, hey, how do we spend money so we don't lose it to the federal government? And by the way, I, I didn't know you're from Detroit, but hopefully we could talk about the, you know, what happened with your streetcar too. Because once they started charging money for that thing, the ridership plummeted. Yeah, they and, had free ridership they for did. months. Yeah, yeah, they did, Tim. And, and, yeah, and I don't want to get off topic, but that's <laughs> one of the things going on in Milwaukee. They have free ridership right now, which has kept the numbers inflated a little bit. But I think I I, 
I, I hope we aren't, but I think we we might be Detroit. You know, yeah. when they start charging. I yeah, I read a, a just yeah. just an aside. I read a report that said we, they subsidize five dollars a ride. You know, you cost fifty cents to ride, but the the subsidy to keep it running and pay the employees, all that stuff is is way beyond that. So it's a huge loss to taxpayers. Yeah, that sounds about right. That's about yeah. what it is in Milwaukee. Actually, it's about it's about a five between five and six bucks subsidy per ride, and sometimes those rides are a couple hundred yards from one block to the next. Check check your pulse because it's about to uh, it's about to ramp up here. We're gonna do a hall of shame list of some wasteful spending that's going on in this massive eight hundred billion dollars that comes from the federal government. So so I'm gonna start, David. If you've got one, you're gonna go, and then Mike, I'm gonna come to you. Let's just kind of go back and forth here. Go for it. I'm gonna take it back a little bit because. When you're... <laughs> When, when we're talking about infrastructure, the gold standard for all wasteful government spending and one of the key points that people t- pointed to when the Tea Party movement was in its heyday was the bridge to nowhere in Alaska. There is this isolated island that has a tiny little airport and they said, hey, Washington, D.C., how about you give us hundreds of millions of dollars to build a bridge to this unpopulated tiny airport island, which, by the way, was being serviced by a boat because all you really need to bring the number of people back and forth it takes for that airport is a boat. The famous bridge to nowhere. Well, I can talk about the tracks to nowhere very briefly. About twenty-five uh, back in the nineteen seventies, actually, there was a federal grant for a transit center in Milwaukee that they built, and it, it was t- ten million dollars from the feds, and it ended up being nineteen million total. Some local spending. It was a boondoggle. Nobody used it. They built it because they had federal money. A couple years ago, they tore it down. They everybody everybody conceded this was a waste of money. They tore it down. Only Tim, the federal government wanted that ten million dollars back. Well, a little bit less than that uh, for whatever. reason. Reason. They wanted six or eight million dollars back. Locals didn't want to give that money back. So the way in order to avoid having to pay that money back, they had to create a, some type of new transportation function on that area. So they decided that they were going to build a stop for the new streetcar trolley there. But it was going to be part of a private development that never happened. So now we have the streetcar, which I alluded to before, has these tracks that dead end to nowhere. Many people are on their way home or on their way to work right now listening to this podcast, using roads, bridges, and tunnels, infrastructure, um, even public transit, I'm sure. Um, and they're asking, well, what's the solution to this? We're talking about what a what an incredible shame this is, 800 Billion dollars. That's a huge number. Every single year, going to this, uh, go, going to all this. So let's let's talk some solutions. Um, and and I'll just let you. I'll just open it up to you guys. The first step is the federal government needs to step back. They need to have much less involvement in micromanaging these projects, putting in rules to benefit labor unions, delaying the length of time that takes for good projects to happen and throwing money that allows bad projects to happen. We need more control of state and local governments that are easier for taxpayers to influence, more transparency, better governance, and they can get the good projects done a lot more efficiently and it will be less likely that the bad projects happen if they have the full responsibility. 
Yeah, David uh, stole a lot of my thunder, but first of all, we need to cut back on the amount of federal grants and aid that are flowing back to state and local governments. Wisconsin pays $53 billion a year in taxes. That's what our that's what the residents of my state pay, and we ought to be keeping a whole bunch more of that in Wisconsin rather than send it, send it out to the federal government where they can skim some of it off and then send it back to Wisconsin again. So that's the first thing. We need to cut down on that amount of money, return accountability back to the states. There are some other big things which we mentioned before that would be very helpful eliminating Davis-Bacon so that when the federal money does flow, because some federal money should still flow, I think I, w- I hope you I think you might agree, David. Um, but to make it to make it a lot cheaper, and also on, on tolling, which we talk a lot about transportation issues, we think tolling is a good is a good free market mechanism at the local level. People who use the roads pay for them, and a good way to um, get beyond uh, the use of gas taxes, which is a, which is a source of a lot of this federal money. David's kind of an expert on this, but um, you know, eliminating the uh, sort of the the constraints, the barriers that the federal government puts on states to tolling would go a long way towards solving this problem, at least at least in the transportation area. And then there, a whole bunch of other stuff can happen in the education area as well. This is a, an issue that affects every single person listening and every single person not listening. So guys, thank you so much for keeping track of it and, and, and bringing us up to speed on it. So thanks so much, guys. Thanks, Tim. Thank you. And that's it for this week's episode of Heritage Explains. Thank you so much for listening. And we're we're getting into the holiday season here. And you know what that means. It means gift giving. And the best kind of gift to give is a free gift. So why don't you go ahead and share Heritage Explains with all your friends. It's free and it's great. And I'm sure they'll be very, very happy you did it. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Heritage Explains is produced by Michelle Cordero and Tim Desher, with editing by Thalia Rampersad.